What's happening in the world coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. A huge crowd gathered in front of the Fulton County Jail this afternoon where former President Trump will surrender to 13 election-related charges. We have update about Trump's latest move in the case. Former President Trump opts out of the GOP debate and sits down with Tucker Carlson instead. Here what topics were discussed in the video already viewed over 200 million times. A shooting at a Southern California biker bar leaves four people dead, including the shooter. Six more were injured. Europe is implementing the strongest rules yet to moderate online content. Big tech companies will have to conform to the rules. However, some are fighting back. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Former President Trump is making his way to Georgia today to surrender to 13 charges in relation to his efforts to challenge the election results in the state. NTD's Melina Wisecup is on the ground where a large crowd has gathered to protest Trump's fourth indictment. Melina, tell us about what you're seeing and hearing there on the ground. Good afternoon, Chris. Yeah, the crowd out here is massive in regards to both media as well as protesters. This is the biggest we've seen this crowd since the past week that we've been here. It has doubled or tripled in size. Of course, there are media mixed with those protesters, so that could account for why we're seeing a large volume of people out here. Now, we did speak to some of those uh, Trump supporters out here. Some traveled from Florida, some traveled from different parts of Georgia. So we're going to show you what they had to tell us about why they're here today in this hot sun out here waiting for former President to, uh, Trump former President Trump to come here and surrender. Take a look. Trump can do international business well. And when he, when he put those tariffs on China, made China back up? No, not, not, that's my man. That is a, he, he knows the world system better than any of those guys. We need this country saved. It, it needs to be saved right now, as everyone knows. Everyone can see, even though some won't admit it, it's going down and fast. So he has four years of proof that he can turn it around, and I believe he will. So my support for him is unwavering. They're making the claim of illegality, and they never checked the reason that they're claiming the illegality. They're saying he, he, he questioned the election. So did we. We were up that night, and um, we watched the vote stop, and we're like, what's, what's that all about? And then he was winning, or won at that point, and then it flipped when it came back and we're looking what happened and we watched it in real time on the TV, the votes changed. So there is some passion out here. There are a lot of folks in this baking sun. It is so hot in this Georgia heat out here. Uh, some of them were here even at 7 a.m. this morning when we were here for that morning kit. So they've been here for quite a while, but they're they're not going away. You know, we're seeing the same people that we've seen this entire time here. Now, as for Trump, his latest move in this case is he did replace his lead attorney, Drew Findling, with an Atlanta-based attorney by the name of Stephen Sato. We're still working on verifying exactly why, because there's not a public call from the former president as to why he made this decision to replace that lead lawyer, Chris. Emelina, we know House Republicans in D.C. are now probing the district attorney who indicted Trump in this case. Tell us more about this. 
Yeah, so the chairman of the judiciary, Jim Jordan, sent a letter to Fonnie Willis today asking her questions like if they expanded the use of federal funds to launch this investigation into former President Trump, going so far as to ask for receipts as to how they use federal funds, citing the fact that Congress does have authority over federal dollars. We have heard some talk on Capitol Hill over whether or not they will try to defund uh, this district attorney's office or the law enforcement here in Fulton County. So we'll wait and see how that plays out over in D.C. They're also questioning if Fonnie Willis, the district attorney, had any communication with special counsel Jack Smith, who is the lead overseeing that election probe from the DOJ. These cases are quite similar, that DOJ probe and this Georgia probe into the former president. Both of them revolve around the 2020 election, so they're both very similar. Fonnie Willis was asked at a press conference whenever she announced this indictment into the former president, if she spoke with Jack Smith about this, she said nothing more than no comment. Now, as for what we can expect to see later, Later on, Trump will be here later today. We're getting indications that it could happen sometime at the evening time because the, because the Federal Aviation Administration has uh, launched uh, air traffic restrictions around the Fulton County Jail area from 6.45 p.m. to 9 p.m. So that could be some indication as to when we can expect the former president on the ground here to surrender at the Fulton County Jail. Chris. Coming up, we have post-debate coverage on the first GOP primary. What are the biggest moments and who stood out? We hear from both Republicans and Democrats. And what did President Biden and Trump have to say about the heated debate last night? That story in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Data on how many people watched the debate on Fox is expected out later today. Meanwhile, former President Trump's interview with Tucker Carlson has racked up over 200 million views online. Trump opted out of participating in the RNC event hosted by Fox. Trump told Carlson it's because the network hasn't been particularly friendly to him and because of his wide lead in the polls. The GOP frontrunner spoke of the challenges he faced as president and now as a candidate, as well as what his priorities would be if elected again. Some topics discussed included Jeffrey Epstein, the multiple indictments against Trump, and Biden and his policies, including the push for renewable energy. Watch. The policies are so bad that if they didn't cheat, they couldn't get elected. Who wants open borders? Who wants high taxes? Who wants high interest rates? Who wants to not be able to use a gas stove? I think the people of our country uh, don't get enough credit for how smart they are. And I, I'm not sure I would have said this 10 years ago, but they get it, you know? They yeah. really get it. When somebody gets indicted, your poll numbers go down. When somebody gets indicted, you announce, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'll be leaving to spend time with my family and to fight for the rest of my life on this stuff. But you're out of politics. I got indicted four times. All trivia, nonsense. Carlson posted the interview on the social media platform X just minutes before the GOP debate began. The video had over 70 million views in its first 30 minutes. Trump and the GOP debaters, who came out on top last night? NTD's Capitol Report host Steve Lance spoke to a team of political analysts. Let's take a look. Congressman, I'm, I'm assuming uh, you, know, you weren't too emotionally attached to any of the candidates, given the fact that you're a Democrat. Um, 
what were some of your takeaways? Well, obviously, the uh, a, a number of the candidates went after uh, Ramaswamy, uh, I think because he's higher up in the polls, but also because I think they they personally found him uh, kind of obnoxious and, and condescending. Uh, I think a lot of things that uh, Vivek said were probably sounded really good. How he's going to get rid of teachers' unions in the country and get rid of all these apartments is uh, really impossible. Um, so he said a lot of things that sounded good. I think that's going to appeal to a lot of, uh -oh. of, of people. Well, I think that the winner of the debate was man who was not in the room, President Trump on debate. Um, it, it looked like the adult in the room was actually not in the room and he was having a longer, more in-depth conversation with Tucker Carlson on Twitter. Share with us what you thought about um, the candidate's discussion on uh, Ukraine. Hitting the Ukraine question, I think what's very fascinating to me uh, is this kind of playing to the current mood among uh, members of the Republican Party. Uh, they're very concerned about the fact that we have a commander-in-chief who had a debacle in Afghanistan, embarrassed the country, and I was accused of being weak on the war on terror. And I kept trying to refocus people, saying the existential threat to this country comes from the People's Republic of China, not the Taliban, that don't have an industrial base, they don't have a weapons of mass destruction program, et cetera. So I think a lot of the reluctance over Ukraine comes from this hesitation based on the really poor track record. And I think that Ambassador Haley provided some clarity, as did former Governor Chris Christie. Uh, but the base doesn't really want to hear it right now. So uh, it's just where we are at the moment. The, the, the party of Ronald Reagan uh, is kind of shifting back a little bit, I think, at this point in time to a more isolationist stance. To watch the full episode of that special coverage, visit our website at ntd.com. Both President Biden and Trump took to social media to weigh in on the heated debate last night. The president responded to candidates who said they would still support Trump as GOP nominee even if he was convicted. Biden wrote on X, a bunch of Republicans on stage won united MAGA ideology. After the debate, Biden also invited social media users to compare him to the GOP candidates and make donations. On the other side, Trump slammed some of his rivals in his true social posts. He dismissed claims that he asked Mike Pence to put him above the Constitution, calling it a fake story. He was commenting on former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who praised Pence for not blocking the 2020 election results. But despite all the buzz, Mark Tapscott, congressional correspondent for the Epic Times, says what stood out about the debate was that it didn't stand out. Let's hear why. Mark Tapscott, thank you for joining us. Good to be here, Chris. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Mark, what stood out for you in the debate last night? You know, it's interesting. The thing that stood out to me the most was that it didn't stand out that much. Um, it was, you know, not really a debate. It was more of a debacle from some perspectives. But I think if you look at it from the perspective of what does it mean for down the road in the campaign, uh, I think there was a clear winner, and that was DeSantis. Uh, and uh, I think some other folks that were clear losers. And uh, we're going to go from there. There will be another one in one month. And why do you think it didn't stand out as a debate? 
because it really wasn't a debate so much. Um, <clears throat> I think DeSantis' strength was the fact that he didn't join in the uh, attacking the other the other guy uh, as most of the others did, uh, and he stuck to articulating his his agenda, his vision, his uh, reasons why he thinks he is the best man to be the next president. I think that was wise, uh, especially when you contrast it with uh, Christie, for example, being very, very aggressively critical of others. Um, I do think Nikki Haley helped herself in the sense that she uh, made a very good case to be the vice president uh, because of her uh, position on the abortion issue. Now talk about Vivek Ramaswamy. Some people are saying that he came out on top last night. I, you know, I hear that a lot, and I think if you look at it just from the perspective of last night without thinking about it in the context of what's coming down the road, um, he did, he did very well. I mean, there's no, there's no disputing that. But uh, he also made, I thought, a, a, a rookie mistake, if you will, when he um, referenced everybody else on the, on the stage being uh, bought and paid for. Um, I understand why he said that. He's trying to do the Trump 2016 I'm the Outsider uh, campaign, uh, and he is an outsider in some respects. Um, but that, that was kind of a cheap shot, and uh, I think it reflected his lack of experience uh, at the national political level. Now, Donald Trump aired an interview with Tucker Carlson at the same time yes. as the debate, as everybody knows. Um, what was the most notable thing about that interview for you? That he was as calm as he was throughout uh, that conversation, which was recorded before last night. Uh, as I understand it, um, he, <laughs> you know, Donald Trump cannot resist being Donald Trump. And that, in my view, is the most, the most significant thing about his interview with Tucker. Donald Trump cannot resist uh, counterattacking whenever anybody, including people that have been his supporters, uh, utter anything even remotely critical of him. And when you combine that with the incredible court schedule and deposition schedule that he's going to have in the spring, um, I, I, I really do think the Trump campaign is headed for a, uh, probably a self-destruction in the spring. Mark Tapscott, thank you again for joining us. All right, Chris. Still to come, Congresswoman Elise Stefanik is asking New York's governor to pause the implementation of a state gun law. She says it's unconstitutional. And Elon Musk says he wants to sue non-governmental organizations funded by George Soros. We'll have the details soon when we return. Back to the news. A shooting at a California biker bar leaves four people dead and six injured. The incident involved law enforcement officers. The shooting took place at historic bar Cook's Corner in Orange County, California around 7 p.m. last night. Three victims died at the scene and the suspected shooter also died. No sheriff's deputies were injured. 
Five of six people injured are being treated for gunshot wounds. Sources told NBC the shooter was a former law enforcement officer. They said he was targeting his wife. It's not clear if his wife is among the dead or injured. Governor Gavin Newsom wrote on social media platform X that he is monitoring the situation and coordinating with local officials. Congresswoman Elise Stefanik wants New York's governor to pause the creation of a state gun owner database, a move criticized by gun rights advocates. The law would create new taxes for gun owners in New York and create a state-level database alongside the current federal one. It would also require background checks on ammo purchases. Stefanik and three other Republican lawmakers from New York are telling the governor that the database would be unconstitutional and target law-abiding gun owners. Governor Kathy Hochul says the law has nothing to do with lawful gun owners and will only affect people who should not own firearms. The law is set to come into effect on September 13th. The executive director of the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association says it's still not clear how the state will administer the law. He also says the costs and requirements needed to follow the law would, be, would put small gun shops out of business. Turning to the disaster-ravaged Hawaii, only 8% of the total area impacted by the wildfires on Maui remains to be searched. And authorities say over 1,000 people are still missing. According to a social media post from Hawaii Governor Josh Green Wednesday, 92% of the total area impacted by wildfires in Maui has been searched. Green said thousands of residents impacted by the wildfires are currently staying in hotels and hundreds are in Airbnb locations. The current death toll is 115. Over to Louisiana, the state typically prepares for hurricanes and tropical storms this time of year. Instead, it's dealing with a growing wildfire threat, a statewide burn ban and extreme heat. A state official says nearly 350 wildfires were burning in the state earlier this week. And the National Weather Service says every parish in the state is under a red flag warning. The official says they're stretching their resources thin. The state's emergency operations centers were activated Wednesday morning to help battle the wildfires. Japan's Fukushima nuclear plant is releasing slightly radioactive wastewater into the Pacific Ocean. Here to discuss is NTD Business's Don Ma. How are you, Don? I'm good, Chris. How about you? I'm doing pretty well. Tell us more about the wastewater discharge. Yes, uh, the first batch is being released. Um, it's going to take 17 days. And let me just tell you how much water that is. It's the size of three Olympic swimming pools. Um, but actually, this is only a very small part of the tons of water that have accumulated at the plant. So what happened was a little background. The March 2011 earthquake and tsunami in Japan destroyed the plant's cooling systems, causing three reactors to melt. It sparked the world's worst nuclear accident since Chernobyl. So now releasing the water is necessary to dis decommission the plant. Uh, the complete release of all the wastewater um, is about 500 swimming pools, Olympic-sized. Uh, it's estimated to take about 30 years to finish, Chris. And a lot of people are obviously concerned about this. Is the water safe, Don? Well, the water will be released into the Pacific Ocean, and it's going to be treated until it meets government limits. Uh, it's also going to meet international safety limits. 
But at the end of the day, Chris, it's still going to be a little bit radioactive. It's, it's not going to be zero. Uh, Japan and also UN authorities say the water is safe, but some environmental activists argue that all possible impacts have not been studied. Uh, the, the, the International Atomic Energy Agency gave Japan the green light back in July, saying it met international standards, and the impact on people and the environment would be, quote, negligible. What has people's reaction to all this been? Right. So, of course, you're going to have some people that are concerned uh, in situations like this. It's completely normal to have that. Uh, Fukushima's fisheries and tourism industries and its economy are still recovering from the 2011 disaster. Uh, fishery, fisheries and groups are worrying about a further damage to the reputation of their seafood. Um, Fishing unions in Fukushima have urged the government for years not to release the water, arguing it could undo work to restore the damaged reputation um, of their, of their f fisheries. Um, and as well, the head of the National Federation of Fisheries Cooperatives said scientific safety and the sense of safety are different. And I think this statement is actually very true uh, in a sense, because when you're talking about reputation, right, it's, it's really about how people feel. And yet it seems like China is concerned about this as well. Yeah, you're right, Chris. Um, so in a reaction to the water release, China announced an immediate sweeping ban on all aquatic products from Japan. I mean, this is quite a reaction from China. I mean, it has the ability to do this, but, you know, um, China is the biggest aquatic pr products market for Japanese exports. Um, so, I mean, this could impact Japan economically. Japan has requested that China immediately lift its import ban. But Chris, I just want to point out a potential irony here of the ban. Um, China itself also releases nuclear wastewater. And Japan says that the amount of a radioactive isotope in their water is actually several times lower compared to the waste that China releases. All right, good talking to you as always, Don. Thank you, Chris. Life is becoming more difficult for big tech companies in Europe. Starting tomorrow, there will be new restrictions, but some companies are pushing back. Here's the story. The European Commission is tightening its grip on big tech companies. Google, Meta, and others operating in Europe are facing the Digital Services Act, or DSA. The act is considered one of the most far-reaching efforts to moderate what people encounter online. It's designed to stop the spread of harmful content that's either illegal or violates a platform's terms of service. Examples are content that promotes genocide or anorexia. Just to give you an example, um, if I'm a platform again and um, I have rules how content is deleted, reinstated, moderated, um, now there are rules on, on how to do that, how to report on that. Platforms have already started rolling out new ways for European users to flag online content and dodgy products, which companies will have to take down quickly. Amazon opened a new channel where users can report illegal products. However, German fashion retailer Zalando is pushing back. We offer high-quality products from well-established brand partners. So we have zero risk of illegal products. The European Union added Zalando to the category of companies facing the highest level of regulation under the DSA. 
Also in that category are Microsoft, Meta, Google, and more. Zalando says it shouldn't be in that category. So does Amazon. These two cases from Amazon and, and from Zalando, um, they will ultimately have to be decided in court. The DSA also prohibits targeting vulnerable categories of people with ads. Companies won't be allowed to target children, for example, with specific ads anymore. If companies breach the DSA, they'll face fines worth up to 6% of their global revenue. This could amount to billions for some. And even a ban from the EU could be brought against them. The rules will start to apply to the largest tech companies on Friday. Elon Musk says his social media platform X would sue organizations funded by financier George Soros that allegedly pushed for a crackdown on free speech. Musk bought Twitter last year and pledged to make the platform a bastion of free speech. He has since changed its name to X. He said in an X post that he agrees with the view expressed by journalist Michael Schellenberger. He said politicians and George Soros-funded NGOs have been falsely claiming hate incidents are on the rise to push restrictions on free expression. Musk signaled his agreement and pledged to sue. Musk has criticized Soros before. He once said Soros wants to erode the fabric of civilization. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please feel free to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Coming up, a Russia analyst says don't count mercenary leader Prigozhin out yet. Not unless it's 100% certain he died in the recent plane crash. And BRICS is inviting six new countries to join the bloc, including Iran and Saudi Arabia. We have the latest on that expansion when we return. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. Large crowds in Georgia are protesting the fourth indictment against former President Trump, who's expected to arrive at the Fulton County Jail tonight. Meanwhile, House Republicans are probing District Attorney Fannie Willis. Some highlights from the first GOP primary debate. Political newcomer Vivek Ramaswamy took most of the heat from rivals. Debates centered around abortion, fentanyl, China, Ukraine, and more. And despite his absence, Trump was in the spotlight last night. His interview with Tucker Carlson has reached 200 million views online. He spoke about the multiple indictments against him, President Biden, and his policies. An expert on Russian affairs says more proof is needed before the public can be sure that Russian mercenary leader Yevgeny Prigozhin was killed in a plane crash. We need to wait until it's absolutely 100% certain that this was Yevgeny Prigozhin on board before assuming that he is actually dead. Because another feature of dealing with Russia that analysts of Russia get used to very quickly is that so often nothing is what it seems on the surface. And what the Russian state says is often very different from what's happened in real life. Kier Giles is a senior consulting fellow with the Russia and Eurasia program at Chatham House. Giles said the lack of any official declaration could mean Prigozhin faked his own death. He speculates it could have happened because Prigozhin was a marked man after a failed mutiny in June. Giles added it remained to be seen what would happen to the rest of Prigozhin's Wagner mercenary group and its surviving senior leadership, and whether they would be absorbed into the Russian armed forces. 
Russian authorities said Prigozhin was listed as a passenger on a private jet that crashed on Wednesday, killing all on board, including other senior Wagner figures. There has still been no official comment from the Kremlin or the Russian Defense Ministry on the fate of Prigozhin, and interests are growing over a comment made by CIA Director William Burns. He seems to have predicted Putin's retaliation against Prigozhin back in July. Putin is someone who generally thinks that revenge is a dish best served cold. So he's going to try to settle the situation to the extent he can. But again, in my experience, Putin is the ultimate apostle of payback. So I would be surprised if Prigozhin escapes further retribution for this. So in that sense, the president's right. If I were Prigozhin, I wouldn't fire my food taster. Burns was attending the Aspen Security Forum in Colorado. He was then asked about Prigozhin's mutiny against Russia's top army brass in June. BRICS is inviting six new countries to join the economic bloc. Those are Iran, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Argentina, Egypt, and Ethiopia. The announcement was made by South Africa's president on day three of the summit. The membership will take effect from the 1st of January 2024. Speaking via video message, Russian President Putin congratulated the new members. India's Prime Minister Modi welcomed the expansion, while Chinese leader Xi Jinping said the historic expansion will inject new impetus into the BRICS cooperation mechanism. South African officials say more than 40 countries have expressed interest in joining BRICS. Coming up, blue crabs are invading Italy's waters, putting prized clams, mussels, and oysters in jeopardy. The invasive species hurts the marine ecosystem and the fishing industry. More soon here on NTD News. Thanks for staying with us. Two German tourists have been arrested for defacing a historic landmark in Florence. Italian police say it happened early yesterday morning. Two individuals were caught on surveillance video spray-painting Munich soccer-related graffiti on the Vasari Corridor. That's a beautiful riverside passageway connected to the famous Uffizi Art Museums. The corridor was built by Italian Renaissance painter and architect Giorgio Vasari in 1565. Police say the suspects are 20 and 21 years old and staying in the city with a group of students, although it's unclear if the pair are students themselves. Their Airbnb was raided under a search warrant yesterday. Today, police recovered two cans of black spray paint and paint-stained clothing. Italy's culture ministry said repairs will cost more than $10,000. Hordes of blue crabs from the Western Atlantic have invaded Italian waters. The species threatens the country's marine ecosystem and its reputation for some of the world's best clams. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details on the crustacean crisis. Arriving on ships from the Atlantic, these blue crabs have put Italy's clams, mussels, and oysters in jeopardy. The invasive species is damaging the marine ecosystem and fishing industry. The blue crab is aggressive. He is fast. He's an animal of unacceptable intelligence. We fight this blue crab, but he is stronger than us because there are so many of them. We, with our fishing efforts, can't manage to fight them. 
According to United Nations data, Italy is the largest producer of clams in Europe and the third largest in the world after China and South Korea. From an environmental point of view, blue crabs are a real problem because they attack the juvenile fish, the eels, and they interrupt the food cycle of the fish because they eat clams, mussels, and oysters. Eel fishing has sustained the local economy for centuries, and it's the star of many traditional dishes. We are very worried, very worried, because we are going into the eel season, and these animals will eat all of our fishing nets, all of our gear, all of our other types of fishing nets. Blue crabs are thriving in the Mediterranean Sea, not only around Italy, but also Albania, Spain, and France. The Italian government has allocated more than $3 million to fight the invasion and hopes to prevent the population from spiraling out of control. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Seeing athletes collapse on the ground after competing is not unusual, but how about down on one knee? A surprise marriage proposal took place by the finish line at the World Athletics Championships. A Slovakian athlete got down on his knee after his fellow Slovakian runner crossed the finish line in the women's race. Photos showed the young man putting a ring on his fiancée's finger, and the happy couple were then seen hugging and kissing in celebration. In the race, the young woman finished 28th in the women's competition with a season's best, while her boyfriend came in 19th with a personal best. A young couple from Washington is counting their blessings, five to be exact. Graham and Stephanie Friels found out that their wish of becoming parents was going to come true the day before Christmas Eve. It wasn't until their first ultrasound appointment in early January that they discovered that Stephanie was pregnant with quintuplets. They moved to Arizona after finding a doctor there who specializes in multiple pregnancies. The babies were born 13 weeks early on June 4th via emergency C-section. The four girls and one boy each weighed barely more than two pounds and spent weeks in the hospital's nursery intensive care unit. And last week, the final quintuplet was discharged. The Friels can now start their journey as a family of seven. According to the CDC, only 29 of the 3.6 million babies born in the U.S. in 2020 were triplets, quadruplets, or quintuplets. It's time for animals at the London Zoo to get their yearly checkups. The Conservation Zoo is holding its annual weigh-in to monitor the health and well-being of thousands of animals. Look at these cute penguins stepping on the scale one at a time. From the tallest giraffes to the tiniest tadpoles, vital statistics will be recorded. Birds, big cats, and primates also get their heights and weights jotted down. Zookeepers have to use clever tactics to entice some of the animals to stand up and be measured. Each measurement will be added to the Zoological Information Management System. That's a database that's shared with zoos all over the world. It helps zookeepers compare important information on thousands of threatened species. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers.